A warm welcome to each of you on this uh, Sunday morning. And uh, it is Commitment Sunday as a part of our stewardship campaign and uh, Abundant Joy, Extravagant Generosity. We're grateful to the stewardship uh, team led by Jim Seymour and all their good work of the witnesses and devotions we've heard uh, today. Kendall Foley and team have coordinated a beautiful fellowship time for you afterwards. You can grab and go. There's coffee and, and snacks today in between services as a way of celebrating uh, this amazing day of Commitment Sunday and God's abundant joy and call to extravagant generosity. Amen. Uh, over these past weeks, as I said, we've been kind of looking at ways that we offer abundant joy and extravagant generosity to God. As I said, a few weeks ago, we talked about that one of the ways we do that is offer our daily lives. And you remember, we talked about the importance of daily prayer and devotion and commitment to God on a daily basis so that we might grow in faith. You'll also remember that the, Pastor Clayton talked about this three weeks ago about the woman in Scripture who anointed Jesus with extravagant perfume as a sign of her worship and adoration and praise. And so one of the ways that we kind of build abundant joy and are able to offer extravagant generosity is certainly through the way that we worship God and commit ourselves to regular worship and praise and adoration of God and giving thanks for the miracle of Jesus and his saving power. Amen? And then last week... We heard the kind of fun story of Zacchaeus who experiences a transforming moment with Jesus. Remember, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. He enters into Zacchaeus' life, and he, he saves Zacchaeus from his sin and brokenness. And out of that, Zacchaeus responds in an overly extravagant and generous way, giving half of his earnings to the poor, was rested, you know, doing reparations for all the people he cheated. His life was changed. Amen? Wow, come on, I know it's a gloomy day. His life was changed, amen? Amen, it was. And so we, we, we talked about the importance of financial gifts, that when we offer extravagant generosity to the work of Jesus through the church and beyond, lives are changed, amen? Amen. Today, you've heard Jim read so beautifully two passages, one which we've been hearing every week. Maybe you're tired of it already, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 8. And you know that that passage was about the Macedonian church, which Paul, remember St. Paul? He wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. Kind of an interesting guy, a little challenging and also very instructive. And remember, he was converted on the road to Damascus. He had been a persecutor of the church, but then he became a key leader in the church. Lives are changed. So Paul has written this to the, the Corinthian church because he's invited them into a special offering, if you'll remember, for those who had experienced a terrible famine in Jerusalem, and he wanted to support the churches and the Christians in Jerusalem with a special offering, much like we do with the United Methodist Committee on Relief. And you'll remember that the Corinthians haven't responded well. You know, the pie graph came out, the chart came out, and at the very bottom is First United Methodist Church of Corinth, right? And so Paul decides to write this letter about a host of things, but one of which was to challenge the Corinthian church to be more generous. And he just talked about the way their lives had been transformed and changed. He also created a little competition by saying the Macedonians, who don't have a lot of money, and who live somewhere else have been much more generous than you have. And he kind of prods them and encourages them at the same time. That's how Paul works. Amen? Right? Today, we see another letter. The letter to the church at Rome. 
And in this letter, we're going to focus more on spiritual gifts and talents and offering ourselves, literally, to the work and mission of the church. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for today. And though it's kind of gloomy and will soon pour rain for hours upon hours, we're here in this beautiful space, space that you've provided through the generosity of others, worship that you've led through the talents and gifts of others. God, you are already working around and with and through and among us, even in this morning, in this moment. We're grateful. Sometimes we don't say it enough. We are grateful to be here. We sometimes take it for granted, and when we weren't able to worship, we missed it deeply. And so it's so good, whether we're online or here in person, to be before you in worship and praise. And now, God, we pray that as we've continued to study your scriptures, that today's work in Romans will lead us to be more generous and more joyful as your children, as followers of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So I wrote this week a little bit about that during the pandemic, uh, as the pandemic started back in early 2020, uh, starting around March, um, it got a little anxious producing. Anybody have some anxiety and what am I going to do and I feel like I'm trapped and what's going to happen? So I decided the response from me, like many of you, was to walk. And luckily I live in an area where there's a big walking track around the golf course and more than I've ever walked before, which I was in better health at the beginning of the pandemic, right? I walked all the time. And then I walked with friends in various places, Bussy Woods or the Glen or whatever. I would just meet people to walk because it was my only social life. And it was the one way I could be with other people. And it was the one way that I could be outside of the apartment. Anybody know what that means, right? But one day I woke up and my leg was killing me, my back hurt, and I had a stiff neck and I couldn't figure it out and I thought something had happened. It actually got worse and worse to the point that then I was having headaches and I was trying to figure it out. So I went to my doctor and it took a while to get in. You remember he had to do all kinds of things. And so we met and he tested several things and he said, uh, I think this has to do with your feet. And I thought, this man has lost it in the pandemic, right? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I think it's all interconnected to all this walking and the stress of your body. And so he said, I want you to, I think the best way to solve the headaches and to solve the leg aches and to solve the back aches and all of these things is to see a podiatrist. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I thought he was joking because I really just wanted some meds, amen, right, you know? But he said, no, I think the podiatrist is the answer. And so he referred me to a podiatrist. So I went all the way up into Grays Lake and met with this podiatrist, and we spent some time together, and he did some manipulation, moving my feet, you know how that stuff works. And he said, yeah, I, I think it's your feet. I think you need some support. I think you're walking on the sides of your feet, and all these diagnoses about all the problems I have in walking. And then he said, the answer is physical therapy and orthotics, which are these inserts that are in my shoes now, right? So at 500 a pop, it's $1,000, yeah. I was like, this feels a little bit like a racket, right? Uh, I, he put the ortho I ordered the orthotics, went through the whole process, and they arrived. And I started physical therapy, and the day I put the orthotics in and started walking, it was like a miracle, right? Like immediately my leg didn't hurt as much, and my back was better, and I slept better, and the tension was different, all because of my feet, right? 
And I remember saying to my doctor later to follow up an appointment and with the podiatrist, I can't believe this. I, I can't believe that orthotics would have this impact over my whole body. And he said, James, everything's connected together. Every part relies on the other. And when one is not working well, the others compensate, and that's what creates a problem. And many of us know that, right? If we've ever had a knee replacement, anybody? Then this feels great, but now this knee's worse than it ever was, right? Or, or, or we, we get some sort of issue taken care of, and then it reveals another. Or we get one cataract removed, and we can't really see out of the other, right? I mean, we all have these stories. Or maybe it's an injury, or whatever it is. We are all interconnected as the body. So it's interesting that Paul uses the image of the body in Romans 12. But it makes sense if you know the ancient world. The Greeks especially, but the Romans to an extent, were enthralled by the human body. In fact, athletes were prized, much like they are today. The body was talked about all the time. It was used as an example of other things like government and function and family. The body was lifted up, and you can see it in sculpture in the Greek, ancient Greek experience with the gods as they portrayed them. The body was just something that people talked about all the time and used as an example for other conversations. So it makes sense that as Paul writes the letter to Rome and also later, or earlier, the letter to Corinth. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I know you know it well. If you don't, I encourage you to read it today, right? Because you can't go outside today. Forget it, right? So pop some popcorn and spend some time with 1 Corinthians 12, and I know you're excited. But Paul talks about the body there. In fact, he uses it as an example. Remember, when one member suffers, we all suffer. And when one member celebrates, we all Oh, you guys are good today, all right? So it's a wonderful letter. So remember that because Paul kind of draws on that in writing today's passage. So today's passage from the ch chapter 12 of Romans also uses the body and spiritual gifts just like 1 Corinthians 12. But Paul focuses a little differently and is addressing something different as he writes this letter. Now let's talk about the church at Rome. I know you're well-versed, but for those of us who need a refresher, I'll tell you, Paul has, not ever, has never been to the church in Rome. In fact, he didn't found it. He didn't start it. He doesn't know a lot of people in it, but he knows of it. A few of his friends who've lived around him in Corinth or Ephesus or Galatia or Antioch are now living in Rome and are part of the church, so he has some connections, but Paul didn't start the Roman church. Tradition says Peter started it, and, but many scholars believe it actually started when Jews who were in the synagogues located in the capital of the empire, Rome, converted to, Jew, to follow Jesus, but remained in the synagogue, and so that many of the early Christians in Rome were probably Jewish Christians. Does that make sense to you? So they didn't all only follow Jesus, but they continued to follow the Torah or the law, and that's important. Remember that, right? Inevitably, Gentiles, that's most of us in the room, right? Non-Jews begin to convert as well. And the leaders in the early Roman church believed that if you were going to be a follower of Jesus, you also had to be a follower of the Torah, so you had to follow and obey all the laws, right? And that's important because that becomes a little bit of a controversy. We know that, in fact, the controversy got so difficult among 
Christians who didn't think they needed to follow the law and Jewish Christians who thought they did, they began to fight among themselves and argue among themselves and create conflict among themselves in their neighborhoods. Now, we don't know anything about conflict here, but I hear it happens in other churches. Amen, right? And so they got so combative that some people believe that when Emperor Claudius in 54 AD expelled the Christians and Jews from the Roman capital, it was because he was tired of their fighting and seeing all their problems in the marketplace, in the public square, on social media, and everywhere else. So many of those Christians got expelled. In fact, Peter, I mean, Paul makes some friends with people who were forced out of Rome with that edict from Emperor Claudius. Inevitably, Emperor Nero, I know you know this, but I'll just remind you, Emperor Nero invites folks back and the ban is ended, and that creates some interesting stuff. Because some of the Gentile Christians stayed in Rome, and so they've built a church based on their understanding of the church without following the law. Now these Roman Jewish Christians come back, and you can just imagine church council was a total nightmare. Amen, right? And so Paul writes the book of Romans, to this church, which is probably a, an assortment of house churches, smaller churches that were federated together, who had experienced some affliction, the expelling of, of Emperor Claudius, their own conflicts. It's also hard to live in the capital where the, you know, the temples to the gods, Roman Empire worship, everything is there. It's a very hard place to be. Now, we're not going to cover the whole book of Romans. We're going to look mostly at Romans 12, but I want you to know that Paul's major purpose was to remind people that we are justified by faith in Christ, that our salvation comes because of grace and not the law. We don't throw the law out. There were some folks in the church who said, well, because we don't have to follow the law, and because Jesus loves us no matter what, we can do whatever we'd like, right? So there was a little bit of chaos, right? Paul says, according to the book of Romans, that in fact we respond in following a moral code, not because we have to, but because we want to. The book of Romans has been super influential. In fact, some people believe it's St. Paul's best work. It's his longest. Probably written in 55, maybe 56, possibly 57 AD, after the Christians wrote, he's writing to them about the offering, so here we go, right? But he's also writing them because he hopes to come there and visit them. And Paul, in good stewardship fashion, also wants the Roman church to support his mission to Spain. He believes God is calling him to build churches and share the gospel in Spain. And what better place to build a financial and spiritual and prayer ministry base than First United Methodist Church in Rome. Amen, right? So he writes this letter. So I want you to hear today's portion because I think it speaks to us about how we offer our spiritual gifts and offer ourselves for the community of Jesus. These verses weren't read, but I think they're important. The first three, he says to the, to the readers in the church in Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, or in one translation, essential worship. Paul is connecting with those old practices of the temple of sacrifice, remember? But he's saying we don't offer sacrifices of animals anymore. We actually offer ourselves as living sacrifices, not something that has to die, but something that we offer our very selves for the worship and adoration of God. He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He is inviting the Christian community to move beyond its divisions, to acknowledge that the law has been faithful, but if we follow Jesus, now we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 3, as you heard Jim read, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You can hear in this instruction that some people in the church believe they're more faithful than other people. I know that doesn't happen here, but I hear about it, right? And some people thought they had been at First Methodist longer than everyone else, so they had a greater voice. Or someone thought that they did this or that, and that made them better than others. And Paul's reminding us to live in humility, to put others first. And then he says this, using that body image, For as in one body we have many members, and not all of the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We take that for granted. We read that a lot both in 1 Corinthians 12 and the version here in Romans 12. But that was a radical concept to people to believe that we're all interconnected together. And using that image of the body, that the finger is as important as the little toe, as is important to the head, whether covered or not, you know what I'm saying? All parts of the body are essential to the function of the church. And then he talks about spiritual gifts. Now, it's interesting, the spiritual gifts, Paul lists in Romans 12. The, the word is charisma or charism. These are gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And in, Ro in Romans, it's a very outwardly focused list of gifts. So I want you to hear them. And if you know, if you know 1 Corinthians 12, you'll hear what's different and what's missing. So he says, we have gifts that differ according to grace given to us. We each have our own gifts. And here's the truth. If you say, well, I don't think I have any gifts. Eh, not correct. Everybody has a gift. I've always wanted to do that. Thank you. <laughs> so we have gifts according to the grace given to us. Prophecy, the ability to see forward, to have vision, to hold people accountable in proportion to faith. Ministry and ministering to others. Teachers who teach. Exhorters who exhort or speak or encourage the giver in generosity with money, the leader in, in, in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. So these gifts are all outwardly focused, right? So there's service and giving money and having compassion for others and speaking and encouraging and prophesying and, and all of those things that are outwardly focused. You see what Paul's trying to say to these folks? They have been so focused inward on their conflict and they have been so focused on trying to see who's right and who's wrong, they've missed that the spiritual gifts that are given to everybody are focused beyond us in the sense of giving, caring, teaching, etc. Right? Do you hear that? What's interesting is, in the Romans list, giving is listed, generous giving, which connects with our theme. That's why we chose it, right? But what's missing, anybody know what's missing here? Speaking in tongues, right? Uh, now, speaking in tongues is a spiritual language, and speaking in tongues is lifted up substantially in the First Corinthians version of this kind of body image stuff. But that's very internal, right? That's about your own spiritual language, which you share with one or two others with an interpreter, right? So it's interesting, Paul doesn't lift that gift here, 
but he doesn't lift the giving gift in Corinth. I just find that fascinating. Those things intrigue me. You're probably like, who cares, right? Anyway, amen. (laughs) The point is, Paul is reminding the church, both in Rome and each of us, that all of us are gifted, amen? Ooh, reluctant. All of us are gifted, amen? Amen. All of us are essential. We may have one gift, three gifts, maybe four gifts, but all of those gifts are spirit-given and they're to be used for the ministry and mission of the church. And then he says these final words, which Jim read so beautifully, and I think it's to kind of undergird everything about the gifts. Let love be genuine. You know, right? right? Let us not act out of other purposes, but let's, let's let the love we have for one another and for those we serve be genuine. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. I, I think, I don't know about you, I haven't had a lot of zeal lately. Anybody have a good dose of zeal? I'm kind of tired, amen? I'm kind of exhausted. But Paul reminds me to be ardent in spirit and to not lack zeal and enthusiasm as I serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. So Paul lists out these kind of spiritual gifts, but then Paul gets pretty practical, right? Love one another, mutual affection, outdo one another in the ways you care for each other. Don't turn on each other, don't be undergirding of each other, hurting each other, but as the body of Christ, celebrate the different gifts that come together. And yes, we may have differences, and yes, we may have challenges, and yes, we may be living in a pandemic or whatever it may be, but don't lack that zeal. Pray for that zeal. Open yourself to that enthusiasm of the work of Jesus in this place. This past week, yesterday, or Friday, in fact, we celebrated the life of Bob Shupey, who was a longtime member here at the church. And in preparing for his service, and I, got to, I knew Bob well and was able to be with him in many of his last days. And I love Bob Shupey. He's one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life, right? And uh, uh, he's from Wisconsin, Franksville, Wisconsin. And he, he served in the military for 20 years in the Air Force. And he's been, he's been faithful. And when his wife was ill, he took care of her beyond belief. And they're all of those good stories. And I knew Bob was in the men's group. And I knew he was in the Thursday coffee group. And I knew all of these things about him that showed that he had compassion and care for the community. Amen? And I knew that one of our members went through a deep and hard time of transition in which he was looking for transitional housing. And his name is Paul, and he's given me permission to tell this story, but Paul, Paul was just in need of a companion, and, and many people in the church were part of that. But what I didn't really know the whole story is that Bob would take Paul grocery shopping on a regular basis so that Paul had food and would be cared for. And that's a beautiful spiritual gift of service. Amen? But what I didn't know is that every time he took Paul to the grocery store, he also took Paul to lunch. Do you hear that? Many of us just want to get the task done, right? But he took Paul to lunch every time. 
And Paul tells me that they would sit and talk, and Bob would listen and care, and Bob would offer wisdom and encouragement, and Bob would spend this enormous amount of time undergirding Paul in this difficult time of his life. I thought Bob's spiritual gift was service, and it was, amen? But Bob's gift of encouragement and exhortation, that was his spiritual gift. Now, I don't know if Bob Shupi would have ever said to you, I'm an encourager and an exhorter, and I have compassion. He would never would have, amen? He never thought more highly of himself. Paul would have loved him, right? But it reminded me that too often, we don't talk about our spiritual gifts. In fact, often when we're doing nominations here, and I confess, we just try to get you to get on a committee, amen? And we think you have got some gifts. And many of you go, yes, I know how that works. It's not the best practice. But part of it is we're afraid to talk about spiritual gifts. Because if we reveal the gift God has given us or the gifts God has given us, we might have to commit ourselves to something radically different and life-changing and transformative and scary. Friends, I pray that in this abundant joy, extravagant generosity journey, you've committed your daily lives. You've committed yourself to worship. And you've committed yourself to generous giving. But today, I really invite you to be in prayer. Will you pray with me? Holy God, you have gifted us through the Holy Spirit with some amazing spiritual gifts. Every one of us. We're quick to kind of resist that, but you have. And we pray, God, that in these coming days and weeks, and even in the coming year, that our church might see things differently and spend more time in these conversations so that we indeed might more fully discover the gift you've given and the way we can offer abundant joy as we generously serve. Thank you for witnesses in this room. Thank you for the life of Bob Shupi, who helped me to once again see the deep importance of the spiritual gifts that build the body of Christ for the work of Jesus in every place.